Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's Caitlin, and I'm going to start us off with our high fives and face palms. And mine is that uh, here where we live in Utah, it's been it was it's been a weird spring. It's been way snowy. We've had like record snowfalls for everywhere, and it was Mar- that was basically the whole month of March. And then just this last Easter weekend, this is so I don't know. This will post you know a week or so from now, but it finally warmed up, and it was an Easter miracle because I feel like it was like actually in the 60s. I think it got to the 70s on Sunday. So that was so nice because we did some egg hunts and there still was snow on the ground. So like the eggs were on the ground, but it was crazy because then by the end of the day, like in the morning when I went to an egg hunt, like there was an Easter egg hunt on the Saturday, we went for a bike ride later in the day and it was totally melted. So I feel like everything melted so quick and it just got warm, which for flooding purposes, not great. Cause that actually is a thing around here. Like people are struggling with, but, um, but it was just so nice that it finally felt like spring for a minute. And then it was funny because yesterday it did just snow again, but it didn't stay. So weird weather, but I'm so grateful it's warm enough. And my high five is that it's specifically warm enough to ride my bike with my kids because I just love it so much. I feel like it gives me so much like good endorphins. It's like a fun way to just get out. We'll like go to the library because it's kind of near my house. We'll go to parks. So anyway, that's just my high five that it's finally warm enough because I got my bike fixed. But then again, it's just been so cold that then anyway, it's just so nice that we're back. Spring is here, which I'm really excited about. Oh, if you want, I feel like Utah in the spring is like such a bad girlfriend, just like <laughs> flirting with you. Then like I seen you out completely. Yes. It's like I've never met anything more bipolar than Utah <laughs> or like Idaho, that area in the spring. It's like, yeah. it's so, it's just up and down one day to the next, like 80 to 30 degrees. <laughs> yes. It'll taunt you. I know. And that's what I'm worried about too. I'm like, I hope we don't just skip the spring weather. Cause then it actually did get to the point where it was hot. Like it felt hot. And I was like, oh no. Like, we literally had two days of the sixties and then like in seventies. And then all of a sudden it was anyway. So it's true. It does. It taunts me a little bit. So I'm really hoping that we can at least maintain spring weather for yes. at least a month or two. That would be nice. Yes, I hope so too. Okay, I have a high five today and it is to living by water. And I don't want to give this high five because you guys are going to be like, no, come back to Utah. But I'm just saying I really enjoy living by water. It's amazing the mood it can put you in to walk a few steps. So we live in a neighborhood that has like we are on a bay, right? All the houses have docks out to, it's called brackish water. So it's just where like the ocean comes in 
and holy smokes it's like so cool just like to look at the reflections off the water the animals how they interact with the water it's just really quite magical so that's my high five today and obviously the ocean we like have like a three minute drive to the ocean but that's really cool obviously that's amazing too there's something just it's like calms you down to live by water i think that's cool there are studies about that that i mean i think that it's about nature in general but it's like they call them blue spaces because it's where you can mm. see water like people that are able to see water they've done studies of like people that are healing if they're able to like see water there's mm. anyway so i think that's cool i think there's definitely something to that when we're able to be around something that's calming and peaceful i think it does calm our bodies and our spirits so that's awesome mm-hmm. mm, i love it that sounds wonderful Mine is a face palm today, and that is about my. I had a situation with windshield wipers last week. So, we had, as mentioned, we had in April so much snow. And literally, one of the mornings I woke up, and this is a first world problem, but I usually park inside of my garage. So, I am very spoiled in that my, my car is usually snow free. But I was driving my dad's truck, and for variety of reasons and it didn't fit in like I didn't park in the garage because it doesn't fit very well so I come out in the morning to go work out and literally there's like I don't want to exaggerate but it was up to my knees because I was shoveling so I like know it was at least up to my knees so that's you know pretty deep so I did some shoveling I went to clear off my car and I just kind of slacked on it because again I'm accustomed I just feel kind of spoiled I just did like a half job of clearing off my car right like just took off part whatever I start driving and I didn't clear off the top of the truck so when I slowed down I live on a hill so like literally as I'm going down the hill and I stop the entire top of the roof two feet of snow comes off (laughs) to my windshield and my windshield wiper pops off so I'm like oh my gosh I can't drive there's literally a snow so I like get off as much snow as I can and I didn't ugh, I didn't wear snow boots I was wearing flip-flops because I don't oh, like but I already cleared things off so I'm like I'll be fine I'm driving like five minutes so I drive a few blocks into a gas station and I looked like I mean people were giving me the weirdest looks I pull underneath the thing so I'm not at least being snowed on anymore and this flip-flops were too slippery so I take off my flip-flops and I am like Gollum like climbing all over my the truck like clearing every last bit of snow off in bare feet like through the snow then i'm trying to hook back on the windshield wiper and seriously like this is guy like this trucker guy he like, gets out of his car and he's just looking at me like what are you doing because <laughs> i'm just like seriously like just monkeying around my whole the whole thing climbing because it's too tall i can't like do it from the ground so i'm just in my bare feet walking around the top of the car i did get the windshield wiper fixed which is fantastic but it was so the things I learned, one, take the time to clear <laughs> off your car all the way, including the roof. Two, in the winter, bring winter shoes with you, even if you don't like wearing them. <laughs> and that's oh. it. Those are things I learned. So thank Those you. Two. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, the fact that you weren't wearing shoes, that just hurts my feet to think about that. I mean, it's all about wearing bare feet in the summer, but oof. It was great. I had like a Oh, sorry. sorry. (laughs) Well, I just love it because I feel like I often is often am like the hot mess express 
wherever I go. Like somehow I'm like looking around at other people like, you got things under control and I clearly don't. Like, you know that feeling? Like that's like the epitome of that feeling. Like you guys all clear your snow and you wear snow boots. Like I feel like I'm in that situation so much. Like, oh, you thought about the situation? I didn't. I just <laughs> went into it without thinking. <laughs> I feel like that's most days of my life. So I just love that. <laughs> Someone else is there with me. <laughs> yeah it's like the I love when you say this uh how do you say it like where you go somewhere and everybody else is all like ready and then you look at yourself and you're like am I a feral person like (laughs) am I the only person who (laughs) wild hair and no makeup what (laughs) it's fun I like it and I had this moment of independence like I wanted I couldn't figure out the windshield wiper thing and I almost because there's all these people who looked like like there's this one guy who pulled up in like a work truck with like tools <laughs> and I thought to myself he might have tools that I need here and then I said to myself no I am gonna figure this out and I did it was great not to be clear asking for help is great had he come out of the gas station and still I couldn't figure it out I probably would have asked for some tools but yeah. I, I got it so okay awesome. well today <laughs> we are going to talk about <clears throat> We have, we've had a few listener questions. Well, we get listener questions a lot about our four pillars and it's been a while since we've dived deep into them. And so we're specifically answering the question, how, when, so on our four pillars, for those of you who don't know, are kind of what we have come up with over the years. I think it took Felicia and I sometime in our first year to kind of, when we narrowed down what was important to us, it kind of organically came out. Our It's kind of a way, different way of saying what our values are. When we return to the core pillars of our own parenting philosophy, this is them. And it's connection, being present, unconditional love, and holding healthy boundaries. So in this episode, we're going to really dive into concretely, what does that actually look like? So we had a, a listener who asked, what does that actually look like? Like, how can I, I know them conceptually, but today we're going to walk through how to really apply this in our parenting? What does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. I think what's really beautiful about the fact of these four pillars is because number one, they're called the four pillars for a reason. Because when I think about a pillar, I think about those like Greek structures that that they have these big pillars around them. And like they figuratively hold up the structure of our home. And so I think it's cool because we have all these wonderful parenting books that we've read and they're wonderful to apply. And I think the cool thing is that a lot of these things can come back into these four pillars. And it makes it really concrete and simple that when you are just in the middle of your day dealing with things that you deal with as a parent, it's easy to come back to, okay, wait, like, am I kind of, where am I at with these four pillars with this kid or with my kids in general or the people in my house with myself? And it's, it's like a really simple, concrete thing to come back to. And I'm really glad that we're talking about this for me because I feel like, I feel like recently this last week or so has been like a little bit rougher. I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes you go through waves where it's like, okay, things are going well. And then there's sometimes where things happen where it feels like it's a little bit more rough. And that's a little bit how I feel like this last week has been for me. And, um, I was talking earlier about, I just feel like I, with my three-year-old, there's just been a few behaviors that have been kind of hard. Like, um, and yeah, like I feel like there's been times where I will, you know, ask him to do or not to do something where I'm like, okay, stop doing that. Cause that, that, that will hurt this, you know, our house or whatever it is. And usually he'll stop doing whatever it is most of the time right then. 
um, when I say it to him. But I feel like recently in the last week, uh, like something that's been really hard for me is that I'll say like, oh, hey, like let's leave that alone so that we can keep our house nice. And he'll like do it again in front of me. Like as I'm looking at him, I've just told him like not to do it. And then it's weird because I'm like, why did you just do that? Like, I don't know. It's weird because I'm like, why are you doing that? Because I just asked you not to. And then I feel like I I literally am sometimes at a loss for what to do because I'm like, well, now what? Like, you just did what I told you not to. And like, I feel like before we were chatting about this and I, I get a little bit emotional because it's like, I... I'm like, so it's so hard because I don't know how to respond. And I was so grateful because Felicia said like, oh my gosh, that has happened. Like that has happened with all of my kids a million of times. I can't even tell you. And seriously, just hearing that one thing, I like broke down in tears because I was like, it's so nice. I think sometimes when we operate under, I usually try to operate under the narrative that like, our kids are little and they are these little people with big emotions. And when I operate under this where it's like, this is totally normal and something so normal for a three-year-old or an 18-month-old, however old your kids are, they're just developing and they're figuring out, they're testing things, they're trying to figure things out. And when I operate under that narrative, I respond differently. Like I react differently. And um, I feel like in the last week, I, I think when I start to, I think the stories we tell ourselves are so important because I feel like in the last week I have... <clears throat> started to kind of like ask the questions and I've started to worry of like, oh my gosh, is my kid, yeah, like being really defiant? Is he not listening? Because, you know, like I start to almost think like he's like really causing me trouble. Like maybe he is like a troublemaker. So like simply hearing the like, this is so normal. I've had this with all my kids was like such a relief to be like, oh my gosh, like this is not a new thing and this is totally normal to deal with. And it's part of what makes parenting so beautiful and also so hard is that I think when we can come back to the the place of it's okay like we are all just like we're good parents maybe having a hard time and our kids are good kids maybe having a hard time I think we respond and like we come at it from a place of instead of being fear-based of like oh my gosh what does this mean and I think I start to spiral out of like what will this look like in the future how what will it be like when my kid's a teenager when I start to spiral out of that I respond from, I operate from a place of fear and it affects how I parent. And I don't like like how I'm parenting when I operate out of that. So I think it's good to remember that like the stories that we tell ourselves do make a really big difference. Like it can be the same situation, same circumstance, but when we operate out of a place of fear, it's going to look different than when we operate out of a place of like peace and knowing that this is just like a normal peace of raising small children and big children. Like it's just a normal piece of it. And I think we respond in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like another piece of it, as you're talking, that is like a, I guess a good story. I, I tell myself or something I always try to remember is like when, when we are focusing on wholehearted parenting or respectful parenting or gentle parenting, whatever you want to say. For me, I like, we, we like to say wholehearted on find the magic because it's just our word we enjoy and we think it encompasses it. But it's like, I am choosing to parent my kid in this way that allows them their emotions, their feelings, their opinions. And it's like a circle of respect that 
we think like we believe that in the long run it turns into a a respectful relationship that goes both ways and so i think as you're like saying this stuff about emmett and like that feeling well feel where it's like oh my gosh is he like a bad kid is he a defiant kid like what is going on and we've all of us with every single kid i'm sure have felt this it's like oh i need to remember i'm choosing to raise him in a way that honors his emotions his feelings his wants his needs i'm trying like i want to raise a kid who can stand up for himself who has his own opinions who's authentic like all of those things are a piece of respectful parenting and you could you could choose to parent with like force and punishment physical punishment and rewards taking stuff away and like all you could parent like that and he would be a much more compliant kid in that moment if that's what you wanted to choose but when i remind myself oh like when Wes is like, no, I don't want that and throw something off her plate. I'm like, okay, that's kind of an annoying. That kind of like triggers me. Like, oh, is she ungrateful? Is she just never going to eat like the food someone gives her or whatever? And then I'm like, wait, I don't want Wes to just eat food because someone tells her that she has to and that she should like it when she's older and not listen to her own body cues and her signals. Like I want to raise a child who is like has their own like opinions and, and their own power. Okay. That's a different story. And it makes those situations. Yeah. You still work through the situation and talk about how we can better handle things and teach them how to express themselves in a way that doesn't hurt other people, yada, yada, yada. But it's like a different narrative if you think about it that way. And it all, it always like, like brings me back down to earth. Like, Oh, okay. It's okay. Like, when we look at it in a different way, it's like what you're saying with the stories that can really change our lens on the whole situation. Yeah. And you bring up a good point that it's like, our kids are going to like push back on us. And, and ultimately like what you're saying is that is a healthy thing. Like it is hard when you're dealing with a three-year-old, like that makes it difficult because it's like, but in general, yeah, like we could squash that out with like fear and threats and things like that, but that's not what we want. We want a kid who is able to maybe yeah like say no when they want to say no and even though that doesn't mean that I think I want to clarify and we're going to talk more about this but it's like it doesn't mean that then you're just like well okay you make a good point and you know it's like you can yeah, still hold the yeah <laughs> recognize, yeah recognize that it's like okay I see you and I hear you and though that even might be frustrating for me like it's good for them to work through it and that it's like yeah we're we're gonna work through this together and that's a good healthy part of developing mm-hmm. a child who is able to go out into the world and handle things when they are not just dealing with us as their main person, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I had a conversation in like a farmer's market the other day with this mom and like, we just had very differences in opinions on, on raising our boys and it was working for her. There's no judgment at all about this. Like before I tell this story, it was just like interesting to talk. And she was saying, she just said the sentence like, oh, but if they don't do it, I just make them, you know? And they were like, her oldest was, I think, nine. And I was like, oh, how do you make them? Like, are you saying, like, I'm just curious, like, does that mean like physically? She's like, yeah. Or, you know, like, just like a little like spanking will get them to do it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't think by the time my kids are 
Well, one, that's just not my personality. I don't feel great about physically forcing my kid to do something. But even if I didn't, even if I could, like there comes a point where that's no longer an option. There comes a point where they're bigger than you just in that simple way, like you couldn't physically control them. And it's like, I would like to develop a relationship of mutual respect where I see their points, they see my points. And that doesn't mean we agree, but it does mean that we respect each other's like wishes because we've both been able to express them. And I think you take a lot of that away when your kids are little and you force them physically to comply. Just think it, I I don't know how it ends up any different than them just being completely defined. Like, what are you going to do? Drag them around, you know? So like long-term, I think it's harder now, but it pays off long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, sorry. Oh, well, that's exactly, it was just going to lead us into the reason why when we resort to bribes, punishment, physical force, the thing is you do get immediate compliance right then, but what you lose is connection. So in long-term, I think connection is what lasts through a lifetime of a good relationship. So that's just leads us into what our first pillar is, which is connection. So again, and we're going to review them a few times. You guys can kind of wrap them around in your brain, but connection and being present, unconditional love and healthy boundaries. Connection is where we always start because for me, when things are off, connection is where I go back to. So it always starts. It's kind of like um, when mm, I can think of many, there's many different things in life like this where it's like, okay, this isn't working. What do we go back to? Let's check the basics, you know, check off the list of like for me physically, if I'm feeling off physically, what am I, what do I come back to? Am I getting sleep? Am I hydrated? You know, and am I getting the nutrition I need? You know, like kind of just like a basic, like, and it's interesting. I know that sounds so simple, but so often times that's the answer. Like I go back and I'm like, oh, I've just been sleeping for four hours a night for the past week. Maybe that's the problem. You know, it's like a nice just returning back to basics, I think is a really great way to go. And oftentimes then you, once you check those things off, then for me, it's like, okay, now let's move on to there's clearly something else that's underlying. Let's keep going. But I think it's nice to come back to the basics. That's how connection is for me in a relationship or with emotions, even with myself. But connection is where I like to go back to. So if things are feeling a little off, you have a behavior problem, whatever it is, connection is such a beautiful place. So you come back to there and you look. So if I'm having a, a struggle with one of my children, I think to myself, how are we on connection? If we have a little bank account here of connection, where are we? And so many times, I mean, I'm going to say 90% of the time when I'm having an issue with a specific child, we're low on our connection bank account. So sometimes how that can look in real life is actually taking specific time. Like I'm going to, I'm going to really carve out some time here to connect with you one-on-one in a way of seeing you. Right. But that is a little bit bigger of a step. The question is when you're struggling right then, how do you actually increase connection? And one thing that I really like is just literally saying what you see in them is a way of connection. So for example, my 12 year old, you know, she'll get really frustrated and I can see that she's just feeling so frustrated and she's, you know, about to lash out at her little brother. And again, in that moment, I can't be like, Hey, let's go on a date. You know, I'm not going to do that right then because it's before school or whatever. So an easy way to do that is I can look at her, stop what I'm doing and actually look at her and say, I can see you are feeling so frustrated right now. 
I see that. Just looking at her in the eyes. And it's interesting. Just that alone can be amazing. Just being seen increases mm-hmm. our connection so much. When yeah. you're doing it in a positive voice. Now, if you're doing it from a, ah, stop being so frustrated. You're, you know, whatever, with an insult, that's going to decrease connection, right? But that's just a simple, really low-hanging fruit of a way to connect with anybody. And this works with two-year-olds. This even works with babies. I mean, there is something really beautiful about seeing somebody, seeing their emotion, naming it, and just giving them eye contact in a not yeah. hurried way. It's beautiful. So that's our first very concrete, like, how does this look in real life? Naming their emotion, connecting with them, eye contact, saying, I see you. First, yeah. first easy, low-hanging fruit script for connection. Yeah. And I want to add to that. Yesterday, I just had a moment. Yes. And I feel like with little kids and again, sounds like it happens as they get older too, but I'm with my kids so much that like I, I realized, and I feel like I've been educated with like the respectful parenting thing, like since I've had my first baby, but it's interesting how easy it can feel. Like even after like a lot of practice, it's easy how easy it can feel to want to like either get to the bottom of why they're like to ask, like with my three-year-old yesterday, he was losing it, losing it. And it was over like, you know, you know, when they're losing it over something that's so, so minute and so dumb that it's like, this isn't really about the marker. You're like, I know this isn't about the marker. So it was one of those things where he was just so like sobbing, so upset. And I wanted to explain like, Hey, cause he was like upset that I, I was coloring with him, which I actually thought was a connecting thing. Cause I thought this is going to be great. And he wanted me to color, but then it was, he was upset that I was using a color of marker that he was about to use, even though, anyway, it was like one of those things where I was like, I don't think this is about the marker, but that's okay. I'm going to like recognize that you just need, like, I, I think I was able to say to myself, this is not about the marker. You just need to like have a release of emotions. And this is a way for you to do it is like just to do it. And he did, he cried for like a solid, a solid five to seven minutes. And I just held him and it was good. Cause I, instead of trying to be like, Hey, like, just so you know, I was just using them like instead of like trying to explain it through with him, it was just like, I can see that you're so sad and frustrated. And he just like would say it again and like keep saying it. And I would just say, I see you. You're really sad and frustrated. So like instead of trying to fix it or even try to explain away why what had it happened, it was like, I'm just going to be with you in this feeling. And so like how to physically do it in that moment was that. And also I read recently and now I'm trying to remember where it was, but it talked about like physical connections with our kids and the, the benefits of that, like holding their hands, like holding them, like actually having skin to skin contact with them can do so much for them. I mean, I think about it with babies. It's like how they can regulate their emotions just by being skin to skin with the mom. Um, I feel like we don't do that as much as our kids get older, just because simply like, you know, we're not holding them as much. But I think about that too. It's like, am I making times just in like simple connections throughout the day that with my three-year-old, I do it a lot with my baby when I'm changing his diaper and doing those simple caregiving tasks where it's like, you're changing a diaper. I am physically connecting during those times. But with our older kids where we're maybe not doing those physical tasks as much with them, like connecting with them in a way, if they are really upset at the time, like making sure that we are like holding their hands, holding them in our lap, giving them a hug, that physical connection, like is just as important as the emotional connection too. And I think that it goes a really long way because with Emmett and with both of my kids, I'll even say, cause sometimes like I can tell they're so upset and I'll even say like, can I give you a love? And a lot of like, a lot of times they'll just melt into me. Like they just want that physical connection. Mm-hmm. So I think again, physically how to do it. I think that that's one thing again, really easy to, that we're naturally doing it during the caregiving tasks, but 
realizing that just throughout the day, are we like connecting physically with our kids by doing those simple, simple touches that are showing them that we care and love them? Yeah, I like that. And I, I, we've talked about the child whisper a little bit on here. Um, but it like break down, breaks down kids by energy types. And I think that Emmett is a type three and that's also what my oldest Cohen is. And it's, I mean, you think at three, you don't have that as much with him, but especially type threes, they're like very on the go and always moving. And sometimes I'll be like, whoa, I haven't like touched Cohen in like three days because they're so like just high energy. They don't really like come to you for snuggles. They're just like moving, 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 moving. And like, I think it's like really important, especially for that energy type to to make that like conscious effort. I've noticed when I do, it's like, oh, like he, yeah, like what you're saying, I think that's like a really good thought. Like he did really need that like touch, even though it might seem like he didn't, you know? Yeah, totally. Like being intentional about it and thinking about it. Cause I think it is easy. It is easy to kind of like, it slips by, but realizing yeah. I read something and I wish I could find it, but it did say like kids need, and it was, it was like a lot of just touches throughout the day. And that mm-hmm. it doesn't have to, it can be a hug. It can be something deeper, but just simply like putting your hand on their back. Yeah. Holding their hand, do, like those simple things, like kids need a lot of that. Through. I mean, we all kind of do, but I think kids, especially that, that it's like a really good connecting. Yeah. Group, you know? yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear, I have a very high quota of physical <laughs> hugging needs. Like I, I'm like a, I don't know, a Labrador. I don't even know what. <laughs> like there are times seriously where I'm like, my cuddling quota has not been met today. Thank you. I have four small children and a husband who I can like, and a cat. I mean, I have plenty here, of here. options, here, but like, <laughs> we all have different enough, you know what I'm saying? I'll take anybody. <laughs> you're saying adults, if you're feeling, if you're describing this and you're like, hey, I need some more hugs too. I, I hear yeah. you. I, <laughs> can I just say something really funny real quick? I have a therapist who's fabulous and she is not a hugger and I am a hugger. And so after our first <laughs> appointment, I was like, you know, I'm, this is a beautiful emotional thing. Like I'm crying and I'm like, can I like, are you a hugger or not? Cause you know, I don't want non-consensual hugging. That's not, that doesn't fill my love tank. And she's like, you know, I'm really not a hugger, but if you really want a hug, like I'll give it to you. And I was like, no, that's fine. Like I prefer, I prefer us both to enjoy the hugs. So it's fine. So now every time, every time after my appointments, I like awkwardly like face her and like put my hands together. I'm like, namaste, no hugging. Like, <laughs> send you my gratitude without actually touching you which is really hard for me to do anyway (laughs) no that's amazing I guess I'm just sharing that because if you're also hearing this and you're like I don't even like physical contact I also get that just give it to your children anyways because they might need it but if you don't need it it's fine I'm not judging you rub the top of their head (laughs) okay the one though I wanted to just stick in there with connection is the you know, these are all ways to connect once we notice something going awry or we notice like emotional upheaval or something. Um, Preventative connection, if you want to use that word, would look like just throughout the day, are we connecting in the things? It it doesn't always look like a one-on-one date. It's, you know, are we holding our child's hand for a minute while we're walking to get in the car or are we taking a moment to like 
do a little song to our baby while we change their diaper instead of off in our own mind thinking about something. Are we like, it's so simple to look in our child's eyes while we're like rinsing their hair in the bath, but it's not easy. Like as a parent, we have so much on our plate. We have our own problems. We have a lot of the times multiple kids and I heard, gosh, I feel like I'm having all these examples of things I hear, but I heard a parent say the other day, I think everyone should only have one kid because you can't give them, you can't give multiple kids enough attention. And I wholeheartedly disagree. I think if you have one kid, that's great. But I do think you can, you are doing, like if you're hearing this, if you're hearing my voice, you are doing enough in the caregiving tasks if you just set your intention to. doesn't have to look like, setting up these elaborate play dates and like doing their times tables with them for 45 hours a day. Like it doesn't have to look like that. And don't beat yourself up if it doesn't, if you have multiple kids and it's like your connection time is in those menial tasks that don't feel shiny, like you are doing enough and they they'll feel it in those just day to day caregiving tasks. If you put the intention into them and yeah, I just I just feel like a lot of times as parents we put so much pressure when it comes to connection of what specifically it needs to look like in this like fairy tale land of parenting where it's all so like shiny and I I just don't I don't really think it has to be that. I think we can do it very simply and like in the day-to-day things. Totally. And to tack on there, I think you make a really good point that it can look like sitting down and playing with your kids for a period of time. It can look like that, but it doesn't have to. Like you just said, you can be connecting and and meaningfully connecting in all of those day-to-day tasks that you're doing. You can do it as you're making them food and be you can do it as you're cleaning up their faces after. Like you can do it in all those things when you are I love the setting the intention thing because I think we can simply let those moments pass by. And it's really easy to because it's mm-hmm. your day-to-day, you're doing it every single day. But I think just resetting the connection, the intention that it's like, I'm connecting at all of these touch points throughout the day. And when I see it that way, again, I I think it's the story that we tell ourselves. Like when we see it that way, it does change how we act during those things. And I think it changes how our kids feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it it makes those connection points more meaningful. And I think kind of like infuses them with a deeper feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move into the next pillar, which is being present. This is pretty self-explanatory, but again, simple, not easy, (laughs) which I feel like a lot of these are. Um, But when I think of this pillar, I think of um, my father-in-law, for example, when a lot of the times when he's watching my kids, I'll come in and he's just sitting with them. And he's just so like, really just deliciously present. And that also is hard to be as a parent with multiple kids when you have other jobs. And um, the I think a lot of the times the problem is our phones. I think it also can be cleaning. It can also be, uh, you know, thought loops in our own head. We're getting caught in thinking about stuff that we need to do. Um, but... I, for me, it often just takes an every other day reminder of, okay, like be present. I think it's just like 
uh, muscle that we have to work and keep practicing. And sometimes we're going to be doing really bad at it. And sometimes we're going to be doing good. But I think just the more we remind ourselves to put our stuff away, put our phones away and be present, um, it will grow. Like we'll get better at it. It's, it is just really hard, but I just always think, I like literally think of Stan, my father-in-law, and I'm like, okay, how can I like channel, like Stan's my spirit animal in this moment, like get some, get, get present here with the kids. And it really does change uh, their energy around you. I think kids, you know, when you're, you get on the phone, the second you get on the phone, your kids could be playing Yes. perfectly. You get on the phone and it's like, we have a scrape. Someone's hungry. Someone's going poop and need their bum wipe. Like it is just like, bah, bah, bah. I think that it's not just the phone. Like they can feel when our just mind is off yeah. and it's like vultures. So yeah. I think a little bit of presence goes a long way in, in the family environment. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And I think to that point, again, going back to the other thing, there are going to be times where you do need to step aside and make a phone call and you, you right. need to be present doing something else. And I, but I think when we, again, intentionally are, instead of like the half-hearted attention, like when we decide to give our attention fully, we give it fully. Like instead of half-hearted attention all day, it's like decide when you're going to do it and do it. Like if it's at meal times, if it's when you're doing these caregiving tasks, be present. I love, um, when I think about this, I was talking to my mom about this yesterday because we were painting. And I remember, I used to think when I, I took a painting class when I was in high school and I remember I would kind of, I had this attitude sometimes when I was mixing the paints beforehand, it was almost like, oh my gosh, I, I almost saw it. I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I would think, cause you know, I would only have it during a class period for high school. So sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is kind of a waste of time of like me having to take all this time to mix the paint so that I can mm -hmm. finally be ready to actually paint. But then I realized it was funny. Cause then as I would start to do that process of like mixing the paint to get the perfect shade that I needed for different things, I actually like fell in love with like doing that process of it. Like I, I loved being able to like get to the point where I had the right paint color and, and it would take some time. Like it would take me sometimes 20 minutes and you know, you only have a class period of an hour and 15 before I would get my palette to the place that I wanted it so that I could just paint. And instead of seeing that, like it changed just cause I, I actually did love like the methodic effort of doing it. Like I enjoyed it. It changed from being just like a precursor to the main event that it was like, and it was one of those things where I realized to myself that it was like, this is the main event because I'm doing it right now. Like I'm not painting, I'm not painting something right now. This is what I'm doing. So therefore I might as well just enjoy mm. this part of the process. And I think about that in our different parts of our life. I think sometimes we almost see things as a precursor to the main event. It's like, well, mm. I've got to get this done and this done and this done so that mm. I can and fill in the blank, go to the park with my kids, go do this. But it's like, me cleaning the dishes right now is the main event because that's what I'm doing right now. Like this is the main event on my stage of my brain. So like, I might as well just be here in it and enjoy it. Like it's not going away. So why don't I just pay attention to what the soap bubbles look like and how it looks. And sometimes my three-year-old will come in and try to help me and I can pay attention to his little voice and how he's enjoying, you know, like instead of being like, Oh my gosh, now he's making this take longer because, and sometimes you do have to get things done. So I'm not saying like, this is always going to be perfectly panned out. Sometimes you are trying to rush because it's like, we got to get out the door because we're going here. But I think when we choose to be present and see things rather than a precursor as the main event, I, again, I think it really changes. I think it changes how we interact with ourselves and with other people. So again, like going back to this question of what does that physically look like? 
I would say like a try this or not is in whatever, like if there is any mundane tasks throughout your day to day, as you're listening that you're like, Oh, I kind of dread doing that. Like I dread, I dread getting the kids in the car because sometimes there ends up being like a struggle instead of seeing it as this is just a precursor to getting the car, like looking at it as this is what I'm doing right now. And like, this is, this is what's happening. And so instead of like almost trying to pull ourselves away from it and look into something in the future or something like that, or getting caught up in our thoughts of what's happened in the past, just like seeing it as a present moment. And I think it's sometimes easier said than done. But again, I think when it comes with intention, I think there's some really beautiful magic that can happen. Mm-hmm. Terilyn, does this make you think of, I feel like in yoga, they always say, every step through the transition to a posture is the posture. Like you're on your way to the posture, that is the posture. And it, like in the second, like if I'm in yoga class and the teacher says that, I'm like, whoa, that just changed the entire movement that I'm doing. And it made me better at it and made me more focused and made me enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just and that switch. Yeah. And it's more, I can honestly say it's more delicious. So yeah. this week I was setting a power yoga class, which is different than my normal kind of style that I teach. And there's this one move where you're in like a wild thing and I was having them swing down into this sitting position. And it's interesting in the entire flow that I had like come up with ahead of time, that movement from the wild thing, which was where you have like one arm and you're kind of arched back and then you're swinging down to this kind of stretch on the ground that movement from the one position to the other position was actually the most delicious part of the entire flow for me. Once I realized that and I could point out to my students, it was awesome because it like paired with our breath and it was amazing because it wasn't even a position. It was actually just moving from one position to the other. And it was my all time favorite part, but had you just been thinking about the next pose, we wouldn't have been able to enjoy the deliciousness of it. So I'm glad you brought that up because it really literally just this week was this beautiful the deliciousness is found only now. And sometimes the most delicious part of something, although you think it's the beautiful pose or the really yummy stretch, which is also delicious, but it can be actually in the transition. Can you find that deliciousness? I love it. And for me, one of my favorite mantras, as you guys know, is I am here or here I am. If I'm feeling that feeling of like I'm living in the future or the past, or I'm just seeing something as a precursor to the next step, a mantra that helps me a ton. When I'm with my kids, I like to say, here I am. Here I am sounds really comforting and soothing to me. So sometimes I'll just say that to myself. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Like, I'm right here. I'm not anywhere else. I'm here. And so I'll just repeat that in my mind. And that, to me, is a nice anchor, a nice mantra to help pull me in. I really find it helpful when I'm doing something that is unpleasant for me and I'm wanting to escape. I'll still use that then, even. I'm right here. Here I am. Here I am. Like I am showing up for this difficult conversation, even though I really just want to run away. (laughs) You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so that's just a little, if we're talking about concrete tips for being present, first, for sure, put your phone away. Second, know that wherever you are is where you are and maybe return to that mantra if you're having a hard time. Yeah. And I think here I am sounds really generous too, because you can feel when people are in that space with you where that's like, they're like, here I am. Like the, it's like, even for your kids, I'm sure even if you're, if you're saying it out loud and they notice, or, but if you're even saying it in your head, they, I think they could really feel that energy. And I think when you're in that energy, it takes like the, 
like high stressful vibration, like down and yeah. Yeah. it I like can soothe situations. Saying it out loud is like a lullaby, you know, if you have, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just picturing myself if I'm sad, somebody gives me a hug and says, here I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. saying, I'm here with you. Like I am here with you right now. And that is one of the hugest, I think for hugest, is that even a word? For me, that's one of the greatest human needs is simply to be witnessed by some another human being. So to have somebody say, literally, here I am. I am here with you. I'm not fixing it. I'm not doing anything. I'm just literally offering you the my love and for me, some physical touch and saying that you're here. Amazing. So yeah, for our kids, saying here I am, I think is amazing if they're struggling. That just made me like really – I. I believe this, but that this example is making me think how how powerful if your work right now is caregiving, like how powerful that like it might you might you might get caught up in that my job is to get my kid from here to there or to to get this meal on the table or to get them to sleep in like a certain amount of time. Da, 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 da. But like if if you realize how um, important, I guess is the right word, or how like impactful that caregiving of like, here I am, like really maybe the most important piece of all of this is that we have this beautiful power to like care and nurture and love someone. And that doesn't have anything to do with the tasks that you check off. It, it almost like changes like what you deem, like all of a sudden the transition into the car where you're present enough to nurture your kid through getting buckled because that's their least favorite thing. Like it changes that moment into something so important because it really can start to feel like really pointless sometimes when all these like menial little tasks, like, oh my gosh, like this is like so worthless and so frustrating all at the same time. I think if you can, if you can make that switch, it could bring a lot of like fulfillment to those tasks as well. Totally. Yeah, totally. It really and does think- change everything and it makes it so much more simple in a really beautiful way. I'm with you. For me, I'm feeling that same feeling right now of, wow, our entire lens and purpose changes in a really beautiful way when we do that. Oh, I feel it. Mm-hmm. I All right. I think that brings us into unconditional love, our third pillar. Um, I think that unconditional love is probably like the, the core of a lot of what people are talking about when they talk about respectful or wholehearted parenting, because it, it is a holding of space for our kids to be different than our expectation. So they're they're going to make mistakes. They're going to talk back. They're going to have these big emotions, these big tantrums. And all the while, like Dr. Becky um, says, and we can link her episode that we reviewed her book. Also read her book. It's called Good Inside. So amazing. Top, top. But it's just that continual reminder that you are good inside. Um, to our kids and also to ourselves. We we are good inside even if we're responding in a situation in a way that we don't want to. So it's offering unconditional love to our kids and ourselves in these harder situations. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes when we do talk about the unconditional love, it feels as though that's just a given. Like, of course, we unconditionally love our children. But I think how our kids feel and see that matters. Like, because we can say that and we can even mean it. Like, I think we a lot of us feel that way. But when we are able to hold a space for them, because sometimes it is hard. Like, if <laughs> if your kid is acting in a way that's really, like, really difficult, you know, they're hurting their sibling, they're doing something you've asked them not to do, whatever it may be. It's hard to not um, want to act in a way that like, that, that puts across that it's like, oh my gosh, you are doing what I've asked you not to do. Like you, like to put them in a bad place. And I think we all make, we all make mistakes. So it's okay. I think, and again, it comes, it talks about this in Good Inside. We can always repair. And I think that that's a way that we can bring in that connection every time. Even after we've responded in a way that we wish we hadn't, we can always repair with our kids. And I actually think that that's just as important because um, it's bringing that connection into something that might've been a disconnection. So I think just to always remember that we are going to, we are going to make mistakes. We're going to react in ways that we wish we hadn't. But I think being able to hold a space for our kids when they do do those things, because then they realize my mom or dad or whoever it is like, yeah, I made a mistake because I spilled milk or I hit my brother and I knew I wasn't supposed, like, I know that I'm not supposed to, but I still did it when they know that it's like, my mom still loves me. And she shows me that by like, she's not going to let it be okay that I did those things. She's going to hold a boundary for me, which is what we're going to talk about. But she's not getting mad at me, shaming me, like making me feel like I'm a bad person for doing this. Like we are, we can still hold a boundary and even we can teach lessons when the time is right while still holding a space for them in a calm space and saying, I can't let you do that. And maybe you do like, maybe you do take them aside with you for a minute and let them sit with you or something, you know, that can look different in a lot of ways. But I think showing that unconditional love is that when I, I love this, I actually heard this in a podcast. I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was actually a dad that had said, I can see that my kids are asking me the question, what is love like when, and then he gave a few, it actually like makes me feel a little teary eyed. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. what does love look like when I do hit my brother? What does love look like when I, you know, act out, you know, I, scream and run in the park when you ask me to get in the car what is what does love look like in these situations like that's kind of what our kids are asking us when they do these things that either we know that they shouldn't do or maybe sometimes they don't because you know there's kids and they're just learning or they're impulsive they're kind of like asking us in a way like what is what does your love look like when I'm doing these things and I think it's kind of a good thing to come back to that it's like we want to show our kids that then as they get older and their consequences and their things that they're doing have a lot more gravity that we are showing them love is always going to look like this. I'm always going to be here and I'm always going to love you through these things. Even when you do something that you know, you're not supposed to, because don't we all like, we all do things when I, when I get mad at my kids, I'm doing something that I wish I hadn't done. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing to come back to. And I think it's a good thing to remember for ourselves too, that it's like, it's okay. And giving yourself that unconditional love when you do make mistakes that it's like, it's okay. And you can repair it. You can repair it with yourself or with your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And concretely, if you think about, you know, like if your kid hits the baby sister and you respond with, oh my gosh, that you are so mean, go to your room right now. Like, even though you, un- you do, like if I were to, a- if you were to ask, you'd say, I unconditionally love my kid. The message they get is I'm bad. And I, I don't get to be with the people I love 
when I act out of my emotions. And mm -hmm. I know that's not the message that as parents we we want to be sending. So I think just right. thinking about it in that way and think when my kid, you know, is older and they make, you know, they're really mean to someone or they, you know, they go out with their friends drinking or they like take the car when they're not supposed to, whatever teenagers do, do we want them to feel like, oh, when I, like I'm bad in this situation and I'm not welcome, like in my parents' presence when I am like that. They, they're viewing me as bad and I'm not welcome around them. That's, that's not the message that we want, right? I don't think anybody wants that. So I, I know it, it is hard to explain this concretely because we, we all do unconditionally love our kids. Like we would say that, but how, like, are we showing that with our actions? And I think there are some simple changes we can make that can help our kids feel that. I think not sending them away is one of those big ones, not, not saying go to your room, shut the door. I don't want to see you. Um, not labeling them, not saying you are mean, you are bad. That's, that's shaming. That's different than, you know, that was not a really good choice to, to hit your sister. That healthy guilt and learning from our actions is like great for all of us. Like this isn't some delusional, like you're perfect and you never do anything wrong. Like that's not the message. It's mm -hmm. just a reframe. Uh, like it really is the, the guilt versus shame conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure I know that we've we've tackled that specifically on episodes. I'll see if we can link those for you. But just that, like changing that wording from you are to a addressing the child's action instead of attacking them as a person can really get across a message of unconditional love when you're um, like disciplining. Yeah, absolutely. And I think honestly, it leads us right into our last pillar, which is healthy boundaries, because I think this is a way that we can show that love in a really healthy way. <clears throat> so obviously this can look, it's simply saying like, either I can't let you do these things. Like we set the boundaries of whatever it may be. So if it's that say our kid is pushing a sibling, like continually, like maybe pushing, like being more physical with a sibling or friend or whatever it may be. I think something for me, again, how this physically looks for me that I have found is, is better is when I inter when I intervene early enough, because I think sometimes if there's certain things where it's like I've let it go, then by that point, I am at a level where I'm I'm ticked. Like I'm like, all right, we're done. Like you need to like you need to stop. So then it's like I might say, and you guys tell me what you think with this, because I actually really would love your opinion here. But like something like that happens is like, okay, I'm gonna because sometimes like if you're not listening to me. I feel like we do need to take a little break out of this because I feel like you're almost dysregulated. Like you're to a point where you're beyond controlling your impulses. Like you're unable to stop messing with your sibling. So I'm going to set you aside by me. Like I'm, I'm not putting you somewhere else, but like I need to also finish, you know, cleaning up or doing whatever it is. So you can sit by me for a minute and we're just going to take a break. And when you feel ready to go back in and like participate, like follow these boundaries, you can do it. And I've noticed that if I can do that earlier than later. Cause it, if it gets to the point where I'm already like my level is risen, 
then it it doesn't come out of a place of like peace and unruffledness for me. I'm like kind of ticked. So it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a lot more like, all right, come over here. Like you're going to sit by me and you're going to like be okay with it. And it's not good. Like it doesn't feel good for me. I'm sure it doesn't feel good for my kids. So I think when we can set the boundary and hold it earlier, I think it helps us from getting into a state where none of us like to be. Like it's a place mm-hmm. of, like, we're also dysregulated. Like our kids are dysregulated, but it's like, I feel myself, like I am not able to manage my emotions because I'm bugged. I'm bugged that they're not fault, like you know, they're not doing whatever. But I think they're, we need to realize they're also these little people that are in a place of impulsivity and they're not, like they're at a point where they're not able to control them. Like, and we just need to give them that benefit where it's like, I can see like you are having a hard time controlling this. So I'm going to help you. Like, I'm going to help you get out of this situation until you're in a better place where you can go back. So I think for me, like that's physically how sometimes, sometimes it doesn't require those things. Sometimes we can simply state a boundary and sometimes our kids follow that without all that. But sometimes it does require us like physically holding it as well. And that might look like if it's the safety, obviously, like I think when it comes down to the physical safety of other kids, whether it's a sibling or a friend that like requires us to be able to be like, Hey, I'm going to hold this for you because I see that you're not able to Mm -hmm. and doing it earlier rather than later when we are not in a state of flux. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's like perfect description of in the moment. And then for me, there's also like the precursor where it's like setting boundaries so that I'm able to be in a space where I can respond instead of react. And that looks like, you know, setting up things that fill my cup so that I can have a thicker patient's skin because often it's not the behaviors that my kids are doing that like are causing the trigger. It's like my state of mind. So boundaries for me could look like, you know, cutting back on certain things so that um, I have more energy or setting up like some quiet time for myself, meditation. Maybe it's like getting a workout and it's like all those things we talk about where um, I'm able to respond with, and those require setting up a healthy, those are a healthy boundary. It's like almost like the reverse. It's like you set them for your kids and you set them for yourself. And also just like in your life, like sometimes for me, it's like rethinking what does a good parent look like? It's like, maybe I'm not in the bandwidth to be making like elaborate meals or planning these crazy birthday parties or signing my kids up for X, Y, Z or playgroups or whatever. It's sometimes our life requires us to have these boundaries, like almost like put ourselves in that little playpen that we talk about so mm-hmm. that we can have more bandwidth to respond in the important moments of our lives instead of react. Cause it's really hard to hold a healthy boundary, like you're saying, and be unruffled and calm if our life's like flying off the rails 24 seven and we just feel so stressed. So there's like two types of boundaries in the discipline and in our life. Yeah. And I just want to add there too. I I have noticed that that's a big one for me because I think sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm feeling really good. The whole day's been good. But if I haven't taken time in the middle of the day to, re- cause like my littlest takes a nap, but my, my oldest doesn't. And so if I don't make sure that we, cause I think sometimes when he's like playing alone and just doing his own thing, whether it's for quiet time or whatever, 
I'm also doing other stuff to try to get things done. Like I'm doing mm-hmm. stuff around the house, like making calls. I'm doing stuff for the podcast. I'm doing different things because my kids are in a good place. But I, I found that when I don't take that time, instead of trying to get a bunch of stuff done, if I don't take the time to whether it is, like even if I'm not sleeping, napping, if I need to rest or breathe or read a book or if for you refueling looks like looking at your phone for a little bit, if you're intentionally doing it, I think sometimes when we just mindlessly scroll that never feels good because then, you know, an hour goes by and, you know, we don't like that. But if it's like, I'm going to take 15 minutes just to do something that refuels me a little bit. And if I, because then sometimes if you get to the end of the day and you are losing your cool, it's like, well, no wonder I'm losing my cool. It's the 11th hour and I've been dealing with stuff this whole time. So again, I think it's important to realize that it's like those healthy boundaries do apply just to yourself and it does help us to be able to react in a good way. And I think sometimes I, it was a good it was a good realization that I honestly just had in the last couple months. And I think I had it talking with you, Felicia, that it was like, yes, no wonder I am, I am feeling like I'm not able to handle things in a great, in, in the best way that I want to. And it's because I haven't taken a little bit of time in the middle of the day to just like do something that's going to rejuvenate me so that then for the rest of the day, I am in a better place to be able to respond. Like I am in a good energy space because mm-hmm. we've all felt it when we're when we're not, when we're at the end of the day and it's like, I have spent every bit of energy I have both physically and emotionally and I'm done. I can't do it. I'm like totally done. So I think it's important to realize and to set up those boundaries ahead of time rather than in the middle. I mean, sometimes we do have to set it up in the middle of like an influx situation, but sometimes it's like, I know that in the middle of the day, my kid, like this kid's going to be napping. This kid's going to be doing his own thing in some way. And I, instead of just trying to get things done, because some of that will be that I'm going to take a certain amount of time just to like do what I need to do to like reconnect with myself. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right, guys, I hope that this dive into the concrete setup of the pillars, which just review our connection, being present, unconditional love and healthy boundaries has helped guided you in some way. If you have more questions or you want us to go into any of them deeper, we would love to. Um, You can leave us a review that helps us and we can help you with your questions. All right, let's find the magic. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. One of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her. So I just want to let you guys know that we've had a lot of people say that they feel like we are their friends. And I want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners. And we, I totally feel like you're our friends as well. So I just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review. So thank you. If you are willing to leave us one, you just go to search Find the Magic on Apple Podcasts. And then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review. And then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much. And hope you have a beautiful day. (coughs) Me, 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 me. (laughs) Brown cows. (laughs)